on these three lives. Welcome, dear listeners, to the 50th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Stefan Molyneux Volume 2 episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakitansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. So last week, we jumped into uh, beautiful white supremacist, anarcho-capitalist, uh, philosopher, uh, YouTube skull, blocker, extraordinaire, Stefan Molyneux. Vent listening. <laughs> Creepy vent goblin. <laughs> Uh, Stefan Molyneux. And when we last left Stefan Molyneux, he was losing listeners due to the libertarian community's, uh, let's say, negative reaction to him becoming somewhat of a cult leader that was basically convincing people to give up their parents and completely yes. cut themselves off. Um, silencing critics. Yeah, he was, yeah, he just went off even a deeper end than he was. And he just, the, the libertarian community didn't like him very much. And he has a consequence. He was losing his audience. But then yes. Donald J. Trump arrived, the, the fucking seer of all boomers, the, right. the wonderful grifter in chief. QAnon News. First up, I want to provide some more details about the QAnon killer story. Uh, like we mentioned on last week's episode, a lawyer representing uh, Anthony Camello filed a defense motion, partly blaming QAnon for uh, Camello's actions. Uh, Camello has been charged for secondary murder for allegedly killing the mob boss, Frank Kelly. Uh, I got a chance to read the defense motion, and it's really, really wild. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Jake here read an abridged section of Anthony Camello's defense motion, and it's subtitled, Mr. Camello's inability to appreciate the wrongfulness of his actions. This is uh, going to be very hard to get into character, right, Jake? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and, and as you're listening to this, uh, pretend that you are on a jury and this is being explained to you as a reason to not charge this man with murder. Got it. Now, Mr. Camello harbored the belief that Francesco Cali was not only a high-ranking member of the New York City Organized Crime Organization, but that he also held a significant status in a worldwide criminal cabal bent on the destruction of American values and the American way of life. In the defendant's mind, the individuals involved in this secret criminal conspiracy, which he believes to be what is colloquially known as the deep state, uh, seek the complete destruction of the United States of America and work to undermine its values at every opportunity. The source for Mr. Camello's knowledge on this topic is known by the moniker Q and has a following called Q. Anon, oh my God! Who support Q in his or her attempts to aid President Trump in fighting a shadow war with the cabal? Uh, this belief permeated every aspect of the defendant's conduct and dictated his actions. I'm just so glad that finally Dungeons and Dragons is making its way into the courtroom. <laughs> you know, you just you love to see pure fantasy become the diction, the lexicon of our era. Mr. Camello was certain that Mr. Cali held a role as a prominent criminal through his association with the deep state and, considering himself to be a patriot, Mr. Camello felt compelled to take Mr. Cali into custody and deliver him handcuffed to the military. Uh, the defendant believes that members of the traditional law enforcement have been uh, corrupted by the deep state. Uh, it was never the defendant's plan to execute Mr. Cali outside of his home. However, the defendant believed Mr. Cali to be an exceptionally dangerous person. And after informing Mr. Cali of his intention to take the descendant uh, into custody, uh, he observed Mr. Cali move his hand towards his waistband. At this point, uh, believing that Mr. Cali was about to shoot him, he retrieved his own firearm from his vehicle, uh, which he had been standing next to, and fired at Mr. Cali. Even though Mr. Comello did not go to the Cali residence expecting any violence to ensue uh, because of who he believed Francisco Cali to be, the defendant did not and still does not believe that killing Mr. Cali was wrong. Uh, rather, he believes that he did his patriotic duty to defend both himself as well as the United States from a dangerous criminal, and therefore killing Mr. Cali was actually uh, morally right uh, under the circumstances. The totality of these circumstances does not support the theory that Mr. Camello intended to kill Mr. Cali. Rather, it is clear that the defendant intended to make a citizen's arrest, place Mr. Cali in handcuffs, and deliver him to what Mr. Camello believed uh, would be the appropriate uncorrupted authorities. Uh, these facts uh, simply do not support a charge of murder in a second degree. Everybody in the jury box 
the judge, the bailiff are all pilled at the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. This is a fucking patient zero, baby. We'll see. I mean, if we're, we'll see how well this works. But, but could you imagine? I mean, this will be a real interesting sort of like the post-truth world. If you are so red-pilled that you are living in your own personal alternate fantasy, you can't be charged with murder. Def- yeah, the defense is essentially... Yeah, this this case is sets uh, eerie precedent. Yeah. Can you imagine? Let's, I mean, could you imagine that like like how organized crime might react to this? It'd be like all oh, it's like oh who are you gonna have to do the hit? Let's go uh, do Brainworms Bobby. He's uh, he's hella red pill. No no jury could possibly convict him. Yeah, he's been. I, I see him posting and vote all the time. We could <laughs> we could easily get him to go whack somebody. It's a new defense now. If if they get him off on this, yeah, we'll you can just say he thought he was fighting the deep state, and you can get anybody off. Yeah, it's if crazy. If you think you're fighting the deep state, it's okay. To um, drug Jake last Tuesday. Well, the, the other crazy thing about this is that, Man. you know, one of the things that sort of uh, stopped uh, uh, people from pushing Pizzagate was that uh, that shooting at Comet Ping Pong yeah. in which uh, no one was injured or killed. But uh, still, a man came in. He shot one bullet, and um, and then he like, made a hole in a pizza. He made, made a hole in the pizza pizza parlor, and then uh, yeah. So Alex Jones deleted his PizzaGate videos. Mark Cernovich deleted his PizzaGate tweets. They all everyone sort of like scattered and backed off. That spooked them to stop pushing it. Now, yeah. th- but no one died. The fact that QAnon has put a body in the ground is not going to stop Q from posting. It's not going to stop the QAnon pushers from posting. So. It's it, it so we, we have a body count now, and the the fact that you know it's killing people is not stopping anybody from moving forward with the QAnon conspiracy in, theory. In fact, I if I were that guy's you know cracked out lawyer, I would say, hey, he's surrounded by a community of of hundreds of people yeah. who who are encouraging him and believing him to do. Now, can we, are they all co-conspirators? I mean, how do you want to charge them? I mean, it's like wh- yeah, I mean, this could be. You know, QAnon and believing in it could be its own unique form of an insanity plea. Yeah, yeah, that maybe that's worth fun. And yeah, we'll see. Uh, like, how many uh, are going to need that plea in the near future? I'm I'm excited to find out. <laughs> it's such a relative thing, right? Because like, if you listen to uh, Jake's uh, beautiful, by the way, beautiful rendition, beautiful reading. Um, those words could be interpreted either way. Like if you are pilled, you're like, wow, amazing. He like shot a guy he believes who was it part of the deep much. state. No, he shot a guy who was part of the deep state. And if you listen to that and you're like, oh, obviously the deep state doesn't exist, then you're just like, oh, this is this is a plead, this is insanity. Yeah. Like he's pleading insanity. But those two realities don't even need to meet, and the same text can be perceived in either way. Yeah. So th- that's the thing, is like, yes, his argument might be good, but if the if the judge is pilled. Which, oh, which yeah. is possible. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Done. <laughs> Guess who's getting off for, for offing a deep state guy? Uh-huh. Brave new world. Yeah. It's well, I mean, then the, the mafia will probably get him, right? Depends. If is, he gets off. Is the mafia not. actually part of the deep state? That's the real question. I don't know. Is the mafia part of the mafia? I yeah, mean, right. you know, they yeah. he killed one of their bosses. Is yeah, the mafia like, part of the mafia? That's actually a good question. <laughs> it's a great question. Second up. I have uh, Representative Ilhan Omar's Republican challenger appears to be a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So uh, Daniel Stella, uh, Minneapolis special education teacher who is running for Congress to challenge Representative Ilhan Omar, has tweeted uh, WWG1, WGA, and interacts with QAnon followers regularly on Twitter. Uh, Also, and I'm Reading directly from Will Sommer's article on the matter here, it says, quote, Stella went further on Monday, tweeting a picture of her- herself wearing a Q necklace in a tweet that was first reported by QAnon tracker and podcast host Travis View. Oh, oh. Wow. all of this just to drop his own yeah, name. That might be a fake name. Approaching skepticism. <laughs> she, uh, so she's a QSN shopper, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. She loves it. That yeah. speech that she gave uh, oh. that has been tweeted out is... Is an act of uh, of of terrorism on the English language, um, but it's also like she seems like she seems she's like she's on methamphetamine, and her entire like she thinks she's two sentences in, and she's only half a sentence in. Uh. You know, like there's something her, her body is like juddering into this weird mini speech, and it's yeah, it's wild to listen to. Wow, it it really feels like someone who's on like so much drugs and alcohol that like they can't control their motor functions anymore trying to like make a quick speech at a wedding <laughs> yeah now uh however uh jody larson who is a former stella campaign staffer who has since backed another candidate said that stella is just posing as a QAnon believer to gain campaign support and uh larson said quote she tries to portray herself as she supports it but she doesn't even understand it 
end quote. But uh, I would argue that understanding QAnon is not a prerequisite for following QAnon. Wait, so, yes, so she, she's embracing a conspiracy theory to get votes. To yeah. get votes. That's right. That's hey, right. fantastic. That's, yeah, that's new development. She's just doing this. She's just doing this for the attention. Right. The positive attention? That's, that's, is, what the fuck? Yeah, that's not that's not better. Yeah, it's if she arguably worse. If she understood QAnon, she probably wouldn't be publicly advocating it for it. Yeah, and, of course and she would. Part of her platform. She loved, dude. And then the problem was, uh, very quickly, liberals made her look cool again, as they love to do, by being like, "Oh, she was arrested for stealing 260 different objects out of a Target." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They did that. That and like she was also. She's like, on drugs, man. She's driving on drugs. Oh, like, like a grocery store. Uh, yeah, she, she apparently shopped with from. It's like people like freaked out about. Yeah, everyone that. knows driving drug is super but, cool. Stop but, making her look cool. What? Yeah. What? I, I mean, I guess that's bad. You know. Uh, yeah. Grocery store margins are uh, razor thin. Yeah. But, stop making her look uh, affable but yeah i feel like i feel like the bigger deal here is that she embraces a deranged conspiracy theory that's now killing people i mean that's the bigger deal to me i'm a little biased i'll admit but uh that's that's just i just think you're judging someone for being neuroatypical <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah right <laughs> all right uh from our third story this, this was wild uh jeffrey epstein found injured after possible suicide attempt Jeffrey Hashtag Epstein, Clinton body count. Who is currently being held in the uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center as he awaits his trial for conspiracy and sex trafficking, was found injured and in a fetal position inside his cell at, at uh, his New York City jail. Uh, two sources told NBC News 4 in New York that uh, Epstein was found in a semi-conscious semi with uh, marks on his neck. So uh, two sources also claim that Epstein may have tried to hang himself, while a third source cautioned that the injuries were not serious and questioned if Epstein might be using as a way to get a transfer. And a fourth source said that the assault had not been ruled out and that another inmate was questioned. So no one even knows what the hell is going on here, which is great fuel for conspiracy theories. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, pretty it's great fuel. It's, I'm, I'm pilled. Like, I don't right. even know what to say. <laughs> on the Epstein shit at this point, I'm not pilled on the body count, the Clinton body count. Wait, I'm pilled the, on the, like, this guy's getting, at very least, beaten to shit and threatened, like, within, yeah. to be like, I'm going to kill you if you do this, this, or the other. Possibly. God. Yeah, I hope that God. It would be, it would be, it was like he imagined the conspiracy theories if he did fucking off himself yeah. and like all his oh. connections. He's all, like, he's like, didn't all this, all this trial, all the shit didn't come to light. Be hor uh, oh, be it'd be awful. Right he's now, gotta they're, make they're it, doing, he's yeah. gotta, gotta make, make it, it to that trial. Yeah. Right now, they're doing like the the guy who beats him up tells him like, yes, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Fine, Colonel Sanders, give give him the name. Fine, Monopoly Man, give him the name. That's right, Mister Potato Head. That's fine. It's okay that he's on the list. If Bill Clinton is on that fucking list. I will find you. I will find your family. And they're going to die. For my fourth story, uh, someone finally conducts a poll about QAnon, but since the question is shitty, the results don't matter. Uh, <laughs> the Daily Coast and the polling firm Civics got around to uh, conducting a national poll about QAnon, and it alleged that 17% uh, of respondents believe that uh, QAnon is, quote, mostly true. But I'm just not, I don't like the question's phrasing, which is, quote, do you believe that the QAnon theory about a conspiracy among deep state elites is true? Because it fails to make a distinction between QAnon and broader deep state theories. I mean, if like just 17% of people believe in like there, there are deep that state, there is a deep, deep state, deep state yeah. elites, I think that wouldn't shock me. That's fine. Yeah. But like, but like there, I would, what I really want would like a, a poll question sort of zero in on the, the uh, military intelligence officials sending coded messages that predict the future, basically. Yeah. There's, there's. Because the thing is, this is a shame because we st we don't have any good data about QAnon. We don't know how big it is. We don't know the demographics. We don't know where they're concentrated. And that's because we have not been funneling enough millions of dollars to Travis, who could be that's running. Right. He could be running a giant command center like I in could. 24. He has all these people with headsets and shit like that, fucking graphs up on the wall. That's right. We need we need a proper op center. And if right. you guys don't pick it up. Uh, Travis is never going to be Listen, able to rule over these people. Soros, I think I've earned my Soros money. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I would I would love to get some like like hard data so we should know how concerned we should be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, I was like my speculation. Was yeah. like, I was like, it was like I was probably uh, including like all the quiet believers who like never post and stuff. It's yeah. probably there probably maybe a few hundred thousand. Okay, I think that, that's sort of my estimate of the population in the U.S. So we're doing this entertainment thing, this 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 thing, but we should start an intelligence yeah, agency. Intelligence agency. 
Uh, the QIA. Yes, right. Let's start the QAnon intelligence agency. Oh, they would love that. We will say, hey, QAnon people, we are collecting intelligence on you, and we could be anywhere. That's so. right. You're the <laughs> drug addicts and drug dealers to our DEA. We're going to track you down. I, for one, nominate myself to head uh, such a organization. I oh, think that I could great, be fair. Course. I think that makes sense. I think I could be fair. I think I could be um, diligent. Yeah. Like everybody else who runs an organization, you'll have a lot of pins on your chest and you won't know what's happening in reality. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be our Gaddafi. For part two of our exploration into uh, Stefan Molyneux's intellectual journey, we're going to be breaking out our calipers because I want to talk about the <laughs> notification of Stefan Molyneux. Oh. Uh, something happened that made him just abandon any principles he claimed he had and just go full on white nationalist. Starting around 2013, 2014, for whatever reason, Stefan Molyneux started getting in bed with the uh, alt-right space. And his entry point, as it often is, was misogyny. Uh, one of the early indications of uh, Stefan Molyneux's dark path came after reports of the tragic death of Miriam Carey. And Miriam Carey was a woman who in 2013 ran her car into a White House barrier, struck a Secret Service officer, and was chased by the Secret Service to the United States Capitol, where she was fatally shot by law enforcement officers. Uh, one of Miriam Carey's sisters told ABC News that Carey had been diagnosed with postpartum depression with psychosis after the birth of her child a, a year prior to the incident. Law enforcement sources said that Carey had previously told police that she was a prophet that President Obama would place her city under a lockdown and that uh, that uh, her residence was under electronic surveillance. So it sounds like she had a kind of a gang stalking kind of thing going on, kind of maybe some delusions of grandeur. Uh, she was it sounds like this was a sad case of a deeply troubled and delusional woman who attacked a government building. But Stefan had a very different interpretation of this event, which he expressed in a 2013 video titled no excuses for female evil. <laughs> no excuses. Again, yeah. zero tolerance for females being completely evil. You're right. In his view, the media did not do enough to condemn Miriam Carey's actions. And the reason was that us as a society, for some reason, are too tolerant of the evil of females. Here's what Stefan said. The evil that women are capable of and the evil that women do, not all women, but the evil that women do is generally invisible to society, which is why there's so much violence in society, fundamentally. So, what? There's so much violence because, which is almost all by males, of course, because women are evil and we're not dealing with it. That's... You're right. God damn it. After this, he dived headlong into the men's rights activist space. In 2014, he was a speaker at the first International Conference of Men's Issues, which was produced by the website A Voice for Men. He also occasionally launched into incel rants, even though he himself is a fully grown and married man with children. Uh, for example, it's a spiritual incel. Though. Yeah, he is a he is a spiritual incel. That's perfect phrase for him. <laughs> uh, for example, here's a clip of uh, from him on his call-in show, in which he seems to blame all of the world's problems on women dating assholes. Women who choose the assholes will fucking end this race. <laughs> end this human race if we don't start holding them a fucking countable i agree with that they, they are the gatekeepers as as you said they keep their gates <laughs> women who choose assholes guarantee child abuse women who choose assholes what about the assholes? guarantee criminality why is he not just talking about the assholes sociopathy <laughs> politicians what all the cold-hearted jerks around the world <laughs> Jesus came out of the vaginas of women who married assholes. And I don't know how to make the world a better place without holding women accountable for choosing assholes. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with this absolutely... He just is so insane. Listen, listen, I, I mean, I'm like forgiving if someone is a young man and relationships are complicated and, and, and they don't understand women and they say stupid shit like this. I don't approve of it. It's misogynistic. But I could chalk it up to immaturity, you know? Yeah. If you're if you're fucking 17 years old or something, 70-year-old kid, you say dumb shit about, oh, women don't, she was assholes, whatever. 
But if you're a forty-something grown man with a yeah. wife and shit, what the fuck are you doing? You he can't. Were, he can't do the chill, the chill version of like, nice guys finish last. He has to be like, women are evil. They make men into savages. <laughs> they are responsible for these men who keep hitting their children. They will crawl into vents and whisper, <laughs> whisper ill, ill advice uh, through the duct. <laughs> Uh, why won't women date normal people like me who hovers near a duct and screams down into other rooms (laughs) a normal thing to do (laughs) Stephen Molyneux was an early supporter of uh, Donald Trump and he says that he supported Trump for an unusual reason that Trump was the most skilled at getting people to hate the media here's an explanation (laughs) that he offered in August 31st, 2015 video. The one job that the president has, and the job of the president is to rouse the masses into hating the media. That is the only job that the president has. And so far, Donald Trump is the guy. Because, because no, because the, the media is on the left, right? And so if you want to get anything done, you have to get people to dismiss the media. What a freak. I know. What he, a little... Dude, it always, it always looks like some fucking LinkedIn video. Like, ah, and he, he, he's leering and lurching like he's, he's a ghoul. He can barely hide his reptilian fucking essence. <laughs> this man. In early 2016, after Trump had secured the Republican nomination, Stephen Molyneux had firmly climbed aboard the Trump train. In support of Trump, he produced a video called The Untruth About Donald Trump, which catalogs unfair or untruthful attacks, in his view, by the mainstream media against then-candidate Trump. Uh, the video became a favorite on the pro-Trump subreddit R. The Donald. In fact, users linked to it so frequently, one R. The Donald dweller said this. I really wish our mods would sticky this or affix it to the top of the website permanently so we don't have to link this all the time. However, it should be said that Stephen Molyneux was not a sort of a Bill Mitchell-style 4D chess, everything that Trump says is gold-style Trump supporter. Stephen can criticize Trump, and since Trump betrays everyone who is loyal to him, eventually, uh, he betrays Stephen Molyneux when he signed into law the Consolidated Appropriations Act 2018, also known as the Omnibus Spending Bill. And here is his gripe. What did he sell his base out for? In signing rather than vetoing the pork-fest $1.3 trillion Omnibus Spending Bill, what did he betray his base for? for being able to enact the largest military budget in history, I dare say, in human history. Because that, of course, is what Trump supporters were cheering all the time. Not lock her up, not build the wall. More bombs, more guns. We will sacrifice and burn to the ground our personal relationships, our credibility, our professional opportunities, our friendships, our family relations. We will burn them to the ground. Donald J. Trump on one condition, please find ways to send extra, to sell extra hundreds of billions of dollars of military hardware to Saudi Arabia. That's what we are sacrificing for. That's why we send you millions of dollars. Yeah. I love that he goes through all the stuff that happens when you support Trump. (laughs) No more friends. No more opportunities. Everyone thinks I'm a fucking idiot. All of this, and you do use the omnibus spending bill number 3.57, uh, selling more weapons to Arabia like we always have? <laughs> Why did you do this? He's like, what, what, he, he's already advocated cutting off your friends and family if they aren't anarcho-capitalists already. So I'm not sure exactly why he's like uh, complaining about all these things as being sacrifices. Yeah, yeah. Does you think this, this would sort of fit in with his uh, sort of... Uh, default worldview yeah what possibly could you expect from someone as inconsistent and stupid as trump what possibly what outcome can you predict based on this absolute he's he's a fucking he's an american football like it doesn't he lands and rolls around like a fucking (laughs) papaya you know coupled with his uh support of trump and his uh sort of uh misogyny came a racist pseudoscience And um, somewhere around 2015, Stephen Molyneux started echoing talking points from the nonprofit organization, the Pioneer Fund. And the Pioneer Fund is a white supremacist organization started in 1937 by a textile magnate. Hmm. Uh, The organization's original mandate was to uh, pursue, quote, race betterment, end quote, 
by promoting the genetic stock of those, quote, deemed to be descended predominantly from white persons who settled in the original 13 states prior to the adoption of the Constitution. Sure. Uh, over the years, the Pioneer Fund has promoted racist pseudoscience and eugenics and basically funded people who would um, promote these views. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I don't know the exact nature of the relationship between the Pioneer Fund and Stefan Molyneux. He's, you know, he, he, he has a tendency to sort of um, hide who is he, who is he's in bed with, you mm-hmm. know, so. But I can say that he repeats claims from the Pioneer Fund and has interviewed people associated with the Pioneer Fund. Uh, for example, Stefan once interviewed Linda Gottfredson, and she is an educational psychologist who has spent more than three decades fighting against the idea that social equality between black and white Americans is possible or even desirable. Uh, Linda Gottfriedson, unsurprisingly, is a major recipient of grant money from the Pioneer Fund. Mm. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where he, he, he actually wounds up sort of interviewing on this program basically everyone who's sort of like associated with this particular white supremacist organization. It's, 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 you know, he's, he's, so, he's so fucking dishonest about, yeah. like, about what about his associations and his funding, what the fuck is going on behind the scenes exactly. Why did he all of a sudden... Uh, when he, you know, before he, you know, he was he was a pure individualist. Basically, he he was so purely individualist that he promoted anarchy because he thought that you know there's there's no sort of um, uh, uh, usefulness to any sort of like a tribal nature unless it's for free trade. That was sort of like, yeah. that was sort of the most meaningful sort of interactions he thought that should occur between people. It's uh, awesome because basically he's he's he lives in Neverland. But because he's such a fucking piece of shit, he ended up being a pirate caught caught as an everlasting child, basically. Yeah. He has the brain of a child and the actions of a, of a pirate. This analogy is going to go very far. <laughs> According to Molyneux and the Pioneer Fund, your race strongly influences your IQ number, and your IQ number strongly influences how economically successful or criminally violent you are. Oh. This is sort of their, their roundabout way of saying that your race determines whether you are economically successful or criminally violent. Yeah. Um, Molyneux ranks the races in the same hierarchy provided by the Pioneer Fund by supposed average IQ scores of the groups. Now, you might hear that and say, Jesus fucking Christ, Stefan, you sound an awful lot like an open racist and eugenicist. Now, of course, he would recoil at these labels, at least at this point. After World War II, pseudoscientific racists stopped promoting eugenics as the term became associated with Nazism. From the 1990s onward, adherence to pseudoscientific racism rebranded to race realism. Yeah. Or, this is my favorite, human biodiversity. Just human, human biodiversity. biodiversity. Yeah. That sounds pretty nice. You're one flower, I'm another flower. Exactly. Now get under my flower's exactly. <laughs> If someone said, hey, you want to come to my human biodiversity party? Yeah. Like, hey, sure, why not? Yeah. That sounds perfectly pleasant. Yeah, now stand there and hold the tray. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Now, Malnu says that he, he actually prefers the term human biodiversity. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he has also... <laughs> I prefer to be referred uh, to as a, a good guy instead of a massive white supremacist racist piece of shit. Uh, however, he has also confessed that his conception of freedom has a eugenics component. Ah, uh, yes, the eugenics component. <laughs> Here's what he said. And generally, um, over time, again, nobody's talking eugenics, we're just talking freedom, but freedom huh? has a eugenics component <laughs> to it. Oh. <laughs> This is sort of the subtext of what he's saying, is that if we lived in a perfectly free society, then whites would fucking dominate. And the yeah, only reason right. that like like non-whites have like, um, you know, are you know, they can sort of operate in society is because of, you know, uh, unfair government rules. This is, is sort of the fucking the subtext of what he's saying. Yeah. Well, there's it's like oh, the, the eugenics. It's like if we were perfectly free, then sort of eugenics is sort of like white supremacists would just happen naturally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all the best music, all the best jazz music. Jeez, yeah, white guys. It's, it's horrifying. Yeah. White guys. Yeah. If if, if left, if Ken, everything was equal, Kenny G, Medeski, Martin, and Wood, the two but, two, two kings of death. But, yeah. <laughs> but hold on, Jake. Hold on, Jake. You can't call him a racist or or a white supremacist because he likes Asian people. See. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. See. Wait a minute. Stefan Molyneux employs a rhetorical tactic. He has a waifu. Yeah. No. He, 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 has, he employs this rhetorical tactic that's common among white supremacists. Before they get to denigrating black and Hispanic people, they praise the high average IQ and industriousness of the Asian people. 
That's just because he reads the manga and they don't color it in. And he's like, yep, all of these fantastic white uh, women with giant boobies. And since these white supremacists are saying nice things about Asians, they reason, they are shielded from being called racist. That's how it works. Yeah, all, all Asians are basically the non-white best friends of modern white supremacists. That's right. Yeah, thank you, Andy and Go. <laughs> so there are lots of problems with this line of reasoning, obviously. Uh, the journalist and libertarian Stuart Hayashi wrote a thoughtful essay about stuff in Molyneux titled A Libertarian Icon's Descent into Racist Pseudoscience. Uh, that essay was published in the Transiski Letter. It does a great job of showing how Molyneux is misleading and selective in his presentation of research related to race and IQ. Uh, one of Hayashi's observations is that a white supremacists who hold up Asians as a model minority fail to acknowledge how stereotypes about Asians have changed over the years. Uh, Molyneux frequently promotes the idea that uh, high Asian IQs are why they as an ethnic group are prone to save their money, obtain high paying jobs and maintain marital stability. Uh, for example, Stefan once interviewed Jared Taylor, the founder of the white separatist propaganda magazine America Renaissance. By the way, this is one of many white supremacists Stefan Molyneux has interviewed. He's he's, he's just he's just yeah. openly in bed. He might be like the like the biggest just out and out white supremacist like online he's bigger than richard spencer it's nuts he uh blocked us just for saying uh you're a white supremacist yeah he, he just does not want to own it yeah he kind of he kind of does he kind of doesn't it's yeah. very strange well he doesn't like it when you say what you say yeah right. in that interview uh taylor says this with stefan's tacit approval the way we find north asians living in terms of illegitimacy rates per capita income crime rate in all of those respects, uh, they have built societies that are, frankly, objectively superior to those of whites, which does not necessarily mean that we wish to turn Japanese or be replaced by Japanese or Koreans. But along those <laughs> standards, they are different and they can be described as superior to us. Replaced. Good, yeah. good, good keyword there. I, I just love that anyone would bring that up at all. He's yeah. like, well, we're not, I'm not saying the main mechanism we're always talking about, you know, replacement is what we want from the Japanese side, but I'm just saying we got to give it to them. You know, they do the maths quite well. It's like, my, my dear boy, you must understand, we're not white supremacists, for we believe that the Asians are superior to the whites. <laughs> How could we then be white supremacists? Right. <laughs> But there is somebody greater than us. But but Jake, no matter who's below us, you know, <laughs> right. like, yeah. But Jake, you must understand this is a recent stereotype of Asians. From the late 19th century to the early 20th century, Asian immigrants uh, held a reputation among English speakers for being lazy, violent, and stupid. During the late 1860s and early 1870s, white Californians saw Chinese immigrant laborers in similar terms that those that Trump and Molyneux have used to describe Mexicans. Uh, the Chinese were reviled for forming ghettos, not being able to assimilate into American culture. They were blamed for bringing in drugs, like uh, particularly opium in this particular case. Oh. They were hated for engaging in crimes such as prostitution, and Chinese men were presumed to be rapists. Oh, yeah. If that rings any bells. Mm -hmm. uh, for another example, the English social reformer Beatrice Webb, after touring Asia from uh, 1911 to 1912, dismissed Japan as a country where, quote, there is evidently no desire to teach people to think. She also described Koreans as, quote, 12 million of dirty, degraded, sullen, lazy, and religionless savages who sludge about in dirty white garments of the most inept kind and who live in filthy mud huts. These people drink Gamer Girl bathwater every day. So unless Molly wants to argue that some drastic genetic mutation altered the behavior of East Asians over the past century, it does not follow that an ethnic group's genes are sufficient to give it a reputation for being economically productive uh, or prone to abstaining from crime. Their race science is wrong, but Travis's race science well, it's, is good. It's, he, it's, all his research checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Stefan Molyneux paired his racist pseudoscience with a growing appreciation for nationalism, which is always a great one-two combo. Yeah, yeah. you want to you yeah. get those two working yeah, together, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point, Stefan Molyneux was very much against nationalism. In his book, On Truth, he argues that it is illogical for Americans to take pride in their country. Yeah. The average American just happened to be born in America. It's a mere accident, not something earned. The average American takes pride in his cultural heritage, which he did not invent, and which was taught to him by others who also did not invent it. Believing that you are virtuous because you were born in a particular country 
is like believing that you are an excellent businessman because you inherited a lot of money, or that you are a good person because you happen to be tall. The average American enthusiastically supports a government that is hundreds of times more oppressive and brutal than the British government from which his ancestors fought to free themselves. The average American enthusiastically celebrates Independence Day, despite the fact that, when his country was founded, slavery was protected and basic rights for women and children were denied. In other words, the average American blindly praises his own culture and history because he is taught to praise it, not because he has any rational understanding of its actual merits and deficiencies. Gotta love how these cranks never actually just talk about their own fucking country. Like, where are your theories on Canada, you dumb bitch? <laughs> your stupid, yeah. boring political system that sucks and that you don't have anything to write about? God damn it, <laughs> Stefan. However, Stefan Molyneux came around on that topic, to say the least. In November of 2018, he tr took a trip to Poland to film the documentary The 100-Year March, A Philosopher in Poland. By the way, I fucking hate how he always refers to himself as a philosopher. Oh, I don't yeah. think any actual working philosophers refer to themselves as philosophers as much as this guy does. A philosopher abroad. I'll be bringing with me a small hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, hat and suitcase for my travels. So... For a comprehensive takedown of this documentary, actually, I would recommend checking out our friends over at the podcast Knowledge Fight, who produced an extremely funny episode about that film entitled Little Taste of Poland. Uh, Dan and Jordan do a fantastic job of breaking down just how incredibly dishonest Stefan is throughout the documentary. Uh, one of the things that they discovered is that the fingerprints of a right-wing think tank called the Warsaw Enterprise Institute is all over the documentary, even though Molyneux never bothers mentioning the organization. Uh, for example, in one scene, Stefan Molyneux gathers people for a talk in a space called the Freedom Lounge, which he portrays as just a cool place to talk about ideas. Yeah. Uh, what he fails to mention is that the Freedom Lounge is operated by the Warsaw Enterprise Institute. Uh, here's how the Freedom Lounge is described on the uh, WEI's website. It was created with conservative and free market youth in mind, a place where youth organizations will be able to organize their events free of charge, use the in-house television studio, develop their professional careers, as well as for socializing and entertainment purposes. WEI will help them successfully achieve their goals. So this, this is a space designed basically to promote a particular uh, f a political philosophy, sure. and that's fine, I guess. But it seems worth uh, disclosing if you're socialism, right? Well, no, no, not no, 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 not these socialism. Are socialists. No, these these are not socialists. WEI is the DSA funny, over there. Yeah, right. No, it was funny enough. This was apparently um, in the, um, the the basement of what used to be the Communist Party headquarters in Poland, and yeah. they, they thought they thought that this was a. It was sort of like reclaiming, reclaiming that space, but uh, basically the, he does reclaiming it for fascists. For, yeah, he does not. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> Stefan Molyneux does not disclose the sort of uh, what what the true uh, purpose of this. It's not just a cool place to exchange ideas. It has a particular political agenda. My God, I cannot wait for in give it seven or eight years. We're gonna have. Uh, we're going to have Nazis like reclaiming concentration camps and doing uh, Instagram posts from there because we're going to live in full intersectional fascism. I am taking that word back. Nazi, the N-word. <laughs> you cannot say it about me. We can only say it about ourselves. Here's how Molyneux described his experience in the Freedom Lounge. That night is memorable for me on so many levels because... We were in a glass-enclosed area facing the street, talking about radical, powerful, philosophical ideas for hours, with no fear of crazy people who want to shoot us, or bricks coming through the window, or bomb threats emptying the building, or all the other things that have happened other places that I've gone to speak. That's an amazing <laughs> experience. Also, we talked about ideas all night without anyone crying racist or sexist or cisgendered scum or heteronormal or all of the other refuse and garbage that clouds intellectual discussions in the West and reduces us to identity politics obsessed ashes of our former selves. As a person going around about my life, I don't tend to wander into situations in which people call me cisgendered scum, yeah. but yeah. I suppose that's because I don't go around proning ideas that are like, 
you know, kind of negative to the the very existence of those people, which would then right. maybe have them kick back a little harder. It's like these fuckers were like, Antifa are storming the streets and punching everyone. It's like, actually, they're kind of just storming the streets that your rally's at and they're punching you. I wonder why. It's not like, they oh, Antifa randomly ransacking people, you know, left and right. It, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, specific what they tend to go for. And he's like, well, but I keep getting called cisgendered scum. It's and so the, nice to sit with all my friends in our hats in our lounge. In and, my incredibly safe space. Yes, and call different races whatever we want without the fear of being persecuted by those also, who don't understand. Yeah. Also, by this point, he had been promoting racist pseudoscience for years. And he's griping. It's like, well, I went to this place and I talked about skull sizes. And finally, no one told me I was racist. Yeah, safe space. It's a safe space. It is 100% like, oh, I was able to talk about my insane bullshit. And no one who had like read a few books was able to turn to me and say, you're fucking (laughs) racist, dude. You know, (laughs) these guys are the ultimate at just being like. I will do everything in my power to refuse the one word that would describe me in the simplest terms. <laughs> Absolutely not. That is not me. Now, uh, during the film, Molyneux attends a march uh, that celebrates the 100-year anniversary of Poland's independence. Now, I personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with people celebrating their country's Independence Day if they have one. Except I, if they're Polish. I mean, I, I those, those, it is it, wrong it is, on face value for no, Polish no, people to celebrate even, anything. Even Polish, even Polish, except for the pickles. Even if you're, even if you're Poland, no. celebrate Independence Day if you want. It's wrong. I, I celebrate Fourth of July every year. It's fine. <laughs> However, this particular march in Poland, it's, it was a bit different. It, oh, uh, here's how the march from the previous year, 2017, was described in an article headlined. The Rise of Poland's Far Right in the magazine Foreign Affairs. The theme was religious. The official slogan of the march was, quote, We want God, and a church service preceded the event. But this was no simple family outing. Next to parents and children, ultranationalists and fascists carried banners that read, Death to the enemies of the homeland, clean blood, and white Europe. Foreign guests included Roberto Fiore, a self-identified fascist who leads Italy's New Force Party, the Slovak neo-Nazi MP Milan Mazurek, best known for his Holocaust denial, and several members of Hungary's xenophobic Jobbik party. So it's, it's very odd sort of nationalist independent celebration that includes neo-Nazis from outside of nation. I told you Poland can't do it. It's, it's almost as it. if like what, what was binding them wasn't wasn't <laughs> strictly Polish nationalism. Yeah. There was maybe something else that, that they were sort of excited about than just still you know, celebrating Poland's Independence Day. In, in Poland, unfortunately, even when you try to, to throw uh, just a birthday party for your kid, it becomes a, a fascist rally. Oh, pity. That's <laughs> something in the water. So the fact that fascists... Poland Springs. <laughs> the fact that fascists showed up in force for the 2017 march was a bit of an embarrassment for Poland, so they sought to sanitize the uh, 2018 version of the march. President Andrzej Duda told attendees that they could only come with Polish red and white banners, and anyone who had the kind of offensive banners that were on display the previous year would be dealt with by the police. Put away your Nazi signs, but please still come. Yeah, well, yeah, it's really interesting because like sort of the the uh, driving sort of uh, um, impetus of Stefan Molyneux for this documentary was basically to show that this particular sort of march wasn't as bad as the globalist media was saying. But what he fails to mention is that they made it illegal to show that illegal to be a Nazi in this march. (laughs) This was an example of government censorship and crackdown. So, yeah, it's not as bad because it was full on Nazi in 2017. So they said, all right. If you do that, you're going to be fucking arrested this time. Yeah. So he's just a little worm. He's a little reporter to fucking wash stuff off the hands of these incredibly yeah, big yeah. fascist is, think tanks. This is, I think, this this is qu- quite clearly some sort of propaganda that he's sort of uh, sort of obscuring the source of. That. Uh, yep. So here's a clip from Stefan's documentary in which he speaks directly to the camera right in the middle of the march. Those of you who watched my show for the last twelve years know that I'm a very staunch individualist, know that I am skeptical, if not hostile, to collectivism as a whole. And here you can see we have people marching in the same direction, carrying the same flag with the same pride. And I have to tell you, I feel like something has just kind of broken in two within me. That Aristotle said 2,500 years ago, whoever can live alone is either an animal or a god. 
Well, I, of course, am neither an animal nor a god. And I remember the pride when I was a child of the Second World War, of the Battle of Britain. And the last few days here in Poland have just kind of shattered something within me in that this sense of collective unity, this sense of collective pride, the sense of having a tribe, the sense of having a culture you can be proud of, has arisen within me, and I've never been to Poland before. My first name is Polish, I know there's family history, but I've never been to Poland before, and I can't tell you how strange a feeling it is that I have a sense of unity with people in a country I've never been to before. And it tells me just how much has been taken away from us by these goddamn cultural Marxists, by the people. <laughs> Dude, you you love to watch a white supremacist come out of the closet and finally, yes. finally become accepted in his community. God, I just feel so free. I can it walk out fun. here with my flag and everything. This is 100% his white nationalist sort of coming out party. It is. He's coming out. He's almost crying about it. He is. God it, damn, he's so stupid. He is. He, everyone like, can see that there's so many things everyone can see and he just can't. Like, it's, he really is dumb. It is like, like, this is a country he admits he's never been to. He he he, and yeah. he, he claims he has family. He gets real fuzzy of what exactly his family history is. I I strongly suspect he actually has no Polish heritage whatsoever. Yeah. And what 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 uh, what he what gets him going is is the sort of a bunch of white people getting together. Hell's yeah, white celebrate. people who aren't ashamed of it and who don't talk about colonialism ever. And who stop blaming him for you know measuring skulls all the time? He's yes. like, as I stand here in my hat and my jacket, and I look around, I see no brown faces. <laughs> oh God, it feels so bloody good to say that out loud. Oh my God, I feel myself more than ever. I feel like a child again, <laughs> <laughs> honey. If you're watching this, I want a divorce. <laughs> You know, it, it is funny because it's such a huge departure from his sort of his earlier claims of like a libertarian anarcho capitalist values. Like, like if you like if you were to judge Poland from like those criteria, like if you were to like claim to love just primarily sort of, uh, you know, unregulated markets and sort of tiny, tiny governments, um, like how would you judge Poland? So I, I learned, for example, the Polish employees are entitled to 20 days of paid holiday time. That's in addition to guaranteed paid maternity leave. Everyone who works in Poland is required to contribute towards a national health fund, which provides citizens with a level of health insurance. Uh, I also checked on how Poland ranked on the Heritage Foundation's Index of Economic Freedom. And uh, Poland ranks 43 on that list. And that list also judges the countries Rwanda, Malaysia, and Chile as, as more economically free, according to their criteria. Uh, than Poland. Yet I suspect that Stefan would not be quite as emotionally moved by a display of national pride in Chile. No, but why? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Why does he not like the Chileans? <laughs> Such lovely food. I mean, it's I mean, it's so fucking obvious. It's like he goes yeah. from like what what really matters is like is uh, you know as as, as tiny uh, uninvolved uh, governments and as, as unregulated markets as possible to. I love white nations. That's just, that's, that's it. That's the end of the, the end of it. And it's just, it's insane that he would recoil at being called a racist. He's just such a precious 16 year old, you know, he's turning 16. It's his big day and no one's going to ruin it. God damn it. He's coming to some of the biggest cosmic realizations ever. I'm not smart and I'm just a big fucking racist, but, but it feels so beautiful to finally admit it. <laughs> at the end of the film, Stefan Molyneux cuts to the chase. His brief jaunt to Poland made him a full-on white nationalist because no one called him a fucking idiot while he was there. <laughs> I've always been skeptical of the ideas of white nationalism, of identitarianism, and white identity. However, I am an empiricist, and I could not help but notice that I could have peaceful, free, easy, civilized, and safe discussions in what is essentially an all-white country. You, oh, I, I just, I'm an empiricist, and as such, let me tell you about an anecdote, which I'm going to draw a conclusion from immediately. When I'm not around people of color, the racist things I say don't offend anyone. <laughs> I can't help but notice <laughs> yeah, that when I stand against this white snow, I disappear entirely. <laughs> it's the same argument he's been making for his entire career, that it's that it's like... 
Yes, well, when there's no resistance to the things I'm saying, that must mean we are on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. people don't tell me to stop screaming through the vent. In Poland, in people po- don't. In Poland, there, they open their vents to me. <laughs> I'm allowed to, to lurk in any Polish vent at any time and, and listen I- to and or speak to whoever I goddamn please. Whoever I please. It's beautiful. It's magical, even. There's so many vents at once. Poland is an old city. Plenty you, of vents. You have, you have no idea how many Polish children I've watched sleep here. It's, <laughs> it has illuminated me. So, I mean, I want to pause here for just a moment and observe that earlier in Stefan Molyneux's career, before like 2013 or so, he was so certain that he had found the key to life, which was anarcho-capitalism and atheism. He encouraged people to abandon their families if they disagreed with his personal philosophy. He claimed he was one of the two people in the universe who are not corrupt. But the moment, (laughs) the moment he realizes that he could find an audience in the alt-right space, he completely jettisons his anti-nationalism, pro-anarchy beliefs. Just the moment. Just the degree of spinelessness and hypocrisy on display here is just fucking flabbergasting. Whenever Stefan Molyneux talks about race, he claims that he's merely relying upon the scientific literature. You, know, you can't blame me. It's what, it's what uh, you know, the, the research says. An empiricist. Exactly. Now, this is, of course, untrue. His references to the scientific research are selective, misleading, and unsophisticated. However, as someone who claims to be merely a proponent of science, you would suspect that he would invoke the scientific consensus on other issues. Say, for example, climate change. But uh, you would be incorrect. Stefan Molyneux is unsurprisingly a climate change denialist. And I have to say, his blatant science denialism makes me question whether his adherence to racist theories are actually driven by a love of science. My, my mother never climate changed my diapers as a child. As such, climate does not exist. Now, Stefan Molyneux has interviewed several people who claim to doubt the scientific consensus on climate change to various degrees, such as Christopher Monckton, William Happer, and Patrick Moore. But the number of climatologists he has interviewed stands at zero. The number of other experts, such as journalists who might be able to communicate what the scientific literature actually says about climate change, also stands at zero. In Stefan Molyneux's particular flavor of climate denialism, he doesn't deny that increased concentrations of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere does lead to a greenhouse effect that leads to increased temperatures. And he doesn't deny that human activity has and is leading to increased concentrations of carbon dioxide. However, he does deny that the increased CO2 will lead to as much warming as the overwhelming majority of scientific research into the matter claims it will. And this is because he seems to deny the positive feedback effects that happen as the uh, global temperature rises. There's nobody who's got any sanity who doesn't think that CO2 is going to affect the temperature in the air. This has been repeatedly confirmed through many, many experiments. And there's no doubt that putting additional CO2 into uh, a particular closed system is going to increase the temperature. What people don't generally understand is this idea of the multiplier, that they can't get to the catastrophic numbers that perhaps they want to get in order to get the scare money from the government. So they have this magic multiplier. So this is this is uh, this is kind of the slickest form of climate denialism because because like the really dumb climate denialists they always say oh the temperature isn't warming or they deny that uh, human beings are increasing CO two that's just so ridiculously anti reality that what he's denying is something that's a little bit more subtle which is that which is that he denies that it's going to warm as much people as much as the sort of scientists say it will and what he's denying is that uh, other factors besides increased co2 will lead to increased warming as both temperature and co2 increases so but this is denying basic geophysics uh, to cite one of the many examples increased temperatures lead to increased water vapor in the atmosphere which in turn leads to increased temperatures Don't take to my word for it. Here's what NASA had to say about this in a 2008 article titled Water Vapor Confirmed as Major Player in Climate Change. Increasing water vapor leads to warmer temperatures, which causes more water vapor to be absorbed into the air. Warming and water absorption increase in a spiraling cycle. Water vapor feedback can also amplify the warming effect of other greenhouse gases, such that the warming brought about by increased carbon dioxide allows more water vapor to enter the atmosphere. Scientists don't believe in a rapidly increasing temperatures because of a multiplier based on magic. They calculate that temperatures will increase because of a positive feedback effect based on physics confirmed by decades of scientific research. 
For a more comprehensive look at how confused Stefan Molyneux is on the issue of climate change, I highly recommend the video titled Response to uh, the Global Warming Hoax, Lord Moncton and Stefan Molyneux by YouTuber Potholer54. Dude, so this guy, Lord Christopher Moncton, he he looks like a fucking fish person. Yeah. Like who, yeah. You see his how does awful. he, like as his ideas get stupider and stupider somehow from a very stupid beginning place, he's talking to like increasingly mutated creatures <laughs> yeah. that have been formed like under the sink of like middle America <laughs> and pretend to be like broken royalty. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really awful. Um, so... During this time, Stefan Molyneux developed a bit of a catchphrase, like he's a wacky neighbor in a sitcom. And this catchphrase is, not an argument. And he says this constantly on Twitter and other social media platforms. And I think he intends it to mean something like, you are not making a supported assertion, and therefore I will dismiss what you said out of hand. But he uses it like an argumentative kill shot. He seems to think uh, saying, like, not an argument means that he wins in every instance. So here's a few exchanges that I captured on Twitter in which uh, Stefan Molyneux has uh, used not an argument. The president calling for a journalist to be fired seems like a public threat to the First Amendment. Not an argument. From anarcho-capitalist to this, I get you may be angling the white nationalist movement, but does something this trivial really keep you up at night? Not an argument, clown. You have a pretty crazy boomer view of weed. Not an argument. You cannot maintain your credibility as a philosopher if the only arguments you can refute are the straw man positions of imaginary debate opponents. Best to avoid the topic entirely rather than comment in bad faith. Not an argument, ironically. (laughs) I study despots. They attack and demonize the press to erode independent sources of truth. Trump's tweets aren't funny. They're authoritarian. Not an argument. So, yeah, that's 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 you get the idea. Nothing's an argument. Yeah, really. So I say it is. So the, the problem with this phrase is that not every sentence that you speak is sort of intended to be an argument. So sometimes a tweet or just a sentence is designed to communicate factual information. For example, the sentence, water freezes at zero degrees centigrade is literally not an argument, but it's still true. uh, Secondly, sometimes tweets merely communicate uh, personal opinions or insults that are not designed to be arguments. And thirdly, sometimes the argument is implied and Stefan, because he's either being dim or obtuse, just totally misses them. Mm. So to further his brand as an argument guy, in 2017, he published a book titled The Art of the argument. My God. (laughs) The book is in part a lesson on the basic principles of reasoning and a part a screed on how stupid and unreasoning people are. It claims that understanding the argument is the key to everything noble, peaceful, and good. The book divides society into reasonable people who observe the teachings of the argument and dishonest sophists. There are two types of people. Exactly. There's two types of everything. fucking... It's a very strange book in that he capitalizes the phrase the argument and treats the argument as if it's some sort of like virtue, like honesty. For example, here's a section near the beginning of the book. But that is what these people worship. Just the argument. Let's keep it going for the rest of my fucking life because I can't stand being quiet for a fucking moment. That's why all my teachers hated me so much. They gave me an age so I would go away. I've spent my entire fucking life like courting audiences of people who can't, who don't stand in front of me because they don't want to. There's no community that will come around me uh, and form around me except for the white supremacists. That's it. That's the, those are the only people that have provided a proper community. Amazing. He writes, the argument is everything. <laughs> the argument is civilization. The argument is peace. The argument is love. The argument is truth and beauty. The argument is, in fact, life itself. The argument means nothing by the time I've put all these fucking signifiers on top of it. Yeah. I am making an argument. So much of this shit just reads like a shitty, like, narcissistic high, high schoolers, like, you yeah. know, first handful of philosophy papers. I yep. really think he has not matured significantly since he was, like, 16. Yeah, no, it's true. He went into Arrested Development. Yeah. He's another one of these fucking guys who found people to talk to about something that should have been a temporary phase and made it into his entire fucking identity and just stuck in Arrested Development. Yeah. So a big problem with the book is that he gets basic deductive reasoning concepts wrong. For example, <laughs> he offers the stock example of a deductive argument. All men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. All right. This is, we're sure. fine, fine so far. I'm still with you, Stefan. Yeah, nothing wrong there. However, Stefan Molyneux then says this. Given that premises one and two are valid, the conclusion three is inescapable. So 
the, the problem with this is that in deductive logic, premises are either true or false. They aren't valid or invalid, as Stefan is claiming here. Uh, only deductive arguments themselves can be valid or invalid. A valid deductive argument is one in which the conclusion logically follows from the premises, even if those premises are false. A deductive argument is valid and also sound when the conclusion follows and the premises are also true. Now, if you've ever taken a course that taught basic analytical philosophy or read a book on the subject, this should be ringing a bell. But something that Stefan Molyneux gets wrong, but it gets worse. In the, in the book, Stefan goes on to say this. If I say, one, all men are immortal, two, Socrates is a man, three, therefore Socrates is immortal, then the structure remains logically sound. No. That is not logically sound. It's not a logically sound argument. It's a logically valid argument because the conclusion follows from the premises. But it's not logically sound because the premise one, all men are immortal, is false. I'm going to give Travis such a fucking swirly. <laughs> what a nerd. But this, but this is a man who, who <laughs> held himself as one of the greatest living philosophers. He's yeah. just you know, Socrates of our time. He, <laughs> he, he solved all the world's problems, yeah. but he can't get like basic philosophy 101 bullshit right yeah. it's just infuriate if you're gonna claim to be the greatest philosophical mind like fucking ever like get basic 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 shit right oh my and god so, after the book was published he was roundly roasted by philosophers online for getting philosophy 101 terms wrong and so he did an update on the book by replacing sound with valid in places where it was incorrect we also added this incredibly mad preface trigger warning <laughs> this book <laughs> You bought <laughs> Stefan's book. You're not going to be triggered by his dumbass bullshit. This book will help you understand arguments, why they matter, and how to win them. I'm triggered. I want you to use the contents of this book to fight for truth and virtue in the real world. The art of the argument is an outright battle manual, not a prissy, abstract, <laughs> academic paper. <laughs> academic logicians have had thousands of years to popularize their terms. Validity soundness, sequence, and so on, and have failed completely. What? Countless texts on formal logic have been penned. To what end? I haven't read them. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? Nothing gets into my fucking thick skull. Why are they even trying to teach me? <laughs> this world is still massively irrational, and most people know nothing of these ivory tower technical terms. As we approach Western civilization's last stand for survival, loftily lecturing people on arcane terms is a mere confession of pitiful impotence. I cannot for the life of me imagine how our desperate fight for freedom can be won by whining that an enemy's sophistry is valid but not sound. Destroyed, Travis. Why would you put this in the thing? Because it clearly fucks your whole point up. <laughs> He's right. Well, he, he ends his rant by saying this. <laughs> Triggered yet? <laughs> I certainly hope so. Let us begin. What a fucking loser. Oh, triggered much? Oh, sit down and let me serve you dinner, Mr. Vrogebrast. This is a message directly addressing people who will never buy this book or yep. look at this message. By the way, he added this rant after he made, he made the corrections from yeah. philosophers. Yo, you made me correct it, of course. Yeah, exactly. How dare you? Now, Stefan Molyneux's failure to properly define his terms and then reacting angrily when told why he was wrong is very odd, considering he rails against people who don't define their terms in the exact same book. Here's what he says. It is not only an amateur mistake to avoid defining terms. It is an anti-rational mistake. Calling it a mistake is the kindest word I can think of, but it is seldom that innocent. Anytime you see someone rush into a debate without first defining terms or refusing to be pulled back to the starting gate in order to define terms, you are, most times, viewing a ghastly, manipulative sophist. He, he did it. He did it. He, he nailed himself so fast. Yes. <laughs> he fucking yes. On this point, I agree. Stefan Molyneux is, in fact, by his own criteria, a ghastly, manipulative sophist. He really is so stupid. So that's what I got. That's what I got. So it, uh. here, here's the crazy thing. Even though we have covered two episodes about him, I 
do not think we have thoroughly covered the extent of his kookery. For example, I didn't get a chance to get into his anti-psychiatry beliefs. Oh, hells yeah. He has claimed falsely and baselessly that antidepressants treat nothing and that they increase homicidal thoughts and behaviors. I also did get into his weird gripe with every every scientist who works in the field of physics. The man oh, is yeah. just, just pure kook in just everything he touches. I really would love to. Uh, has 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 uh, Scott Adams ever spoken to Stefan in I'm sh- in the YouTube ether? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, have, they, they have. have. Yes, yes, they have. Uh, yes, he, they did, get yes, he did do an interview with, with uh, Yes, yeah, they they get along as you can imagine. <laughs> Cernovich too. Yeah, they oh, get along of perfectly. Of course. So basically, here is my final word on Stefan Molyneux. He is an emotionally damaged megalomaniac. He is a stunning hypocrite who claims to be rational and principle and principle, but completely changed his worldview the second he saw the political wind shifting. He is a misogynist. He is a brazen white nationalist. He is a science denier. He claims to value virtue while openly admitting that he listens in on his wife's therapy sessions. He claims to be the savior of philosophy, but he makes basic basic errors that would give him a C minus in the introduction to philosophy class. I am wholly incapable of properly communicating the size of the massive gap between his confidence in his intellectual abilities and the actual value of his intellectual output. And on top of all of this, he's, he's just rips off all of his ideas. Nothing Stefan Molyneux does is original. And this isn't just me as saying this. He, in a rare candid moment, he himself has admitted as much. Once you know enough, you'll know that almost nothing I do is original. Once, once you, <laughs> I just, I, I entirely rely upon the complete non-literariness of your generation to look original. So, yeah. I see, I see. <laughs> ah, yes, I see. You're a complete charlatan, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, and yet I will continue to follow you because I'm a fucking piece of shit. You've been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We don't run any advertising on the show, mostly because we don't like corporations telling us what to do. Instead of that, we use a straightforward $5 monthly subscription system, and for that amount, you get access to a second weekly episode alongside all the ones we've already recorded. So go ahead and uh, visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous to support us. Uh, this allows us to be self-sustainable, and for that, we are eternally grateful. Thank you. If you want merch, you can go to merch.qanonanonymous.com. And if you want to join us uh, and chat on Discord, discord.qanonanonymous.com. Our Twitters are at QAnonAnonymous, at Travis underscore View, at Julian Field, and of course, at Real Rockatansky. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. So we're here in Los Angeles because I want to find out what's going on in California. The highs and the lows. California has had a massive influx of people into what is essentially a desert. A lot of thirsty people and not enough water. It's a corrupt place. It is a place of great wealth. It is a place of extraordinarily high taxes. And it is a place of massive illegal immigration. Fully 17% of the California budget is spent on illegal immigrants. What does this mean? What's going to happen? So we're going to explore the politics. We're going to explore the economics. We're going to explore the demographics. And right here, we can see this incredible city from this vantage point. Incredible blue skies. This amazing city of Los Angeles. Over here, we have snow-capped mountains, the sea. What an amazing, magical place. And it was a place that when I was younger seemed to have limitless possibilities. And now, the great question that is being asked in America, in the West, where it has always been said that if you want to look at the future of America, you look at California. The debt is extraordinary. The social dysfunction is staggering. Is this great city of Los Angeles a dead city walking? Is it been hollowed out like a tooth that is going to collapse from the inside? Is it merely left standing because of a prior economic vitality and cultural energy? Has it died but has yet to be pronounced? Can it be turned around? These are all very big questions. We're going to dig deep and find the answers in this story of California.